welcome to the Library Talks podcast brought to you by Sun Council's Cultural Services. I'm your host, Alfie, from the Cultural Services digital team. A bit of housekeeping before we get started today, uh, as I should mention that this week's episode is the final episode in the series. I'll be back at the end of the podcast to speak a bit more about that, but make sure you're following Sutton Libraries on all our social media platforms for information about the next series of the podcast. And thank you to everyone who made this run possible, most especially you, the listener. My guest this week is Lucas Maxwell. Lucas is the school librarian at Glenthorne High School here in Sutton and won School Librarian of the Year in 2017. He also contributes to the popular literary site Book Riot and alongside Glenthorne students creates the Booklings Chat podcast. This was a bit of a tricky recording to arrange uh, and there were a number of postponements from my side, I should say, mo- uh, mainly due to COVID-19. When we did eventually sit down in the Glenthorne School Library in December of 2021, COVID cases were surging again uh, and with an uncertain future looming, it did very much feel like the last podcast out of Saigon, but we got it over the line just about. We were in the end very short of time, uh, so I do apologise to Lucas for having to somewhat rush the chat and that is why this week's episode is much shorter than usual. But I think what we did cover is really fascinating and Lucas spoke really interestingly about the challenges he faces as a school librarian the dangers of misinformation among young people and the role of libraries as a sanctuary, something that has come up repeatedly while recording this series. I'd love to get Lucas back for a future episode when we have more time to delve into these topics and explore new ones. But for now, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Library Talks podcast with our guest, Lucas Maxwell, school librarian at Glenthorne High School. Tell me a bit about your kind of history with um, libraries. Um, is it something you've been passionate about since you were young? And um, you're Canadian, obviously. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, how yeah. so? How does the kind of library system in Canada differ to the UK? If there's any kind of notable differences? Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't say I was passionate about it at all when I was young. Um, I read a lot of comic books, and that was where I was at mainly. But I eventually got a job in the public library system and where I'm from on the east coast the public library system is very good I don't think the school library system is very well supported at all but um, the public library system was when I was there and I just by pure chance um, ended up as what they call there a teen services librarian so I was just helping teens some of some of them who were in risk at risk i guess they they call it at risk of being involved in gangs or drug deals dealing i should say or um in kind of situations that maybe not everyone is experienced with and it was very interesting and um rewarding to help them and as best as i could as a as a librarian to offer services and like that and things like that before that i i also worked in you know, archives and things but when I got the job at the public library, it was really, really good. So that kind of streamlined into this, um, working in the uh, in a high school library. So I would say, in my opinion, in at least where I'm from in Canada, the school library system is, is not well supported, but the public library system is still going pretty strong. And it was um, a big change, but um, it was I was doing a lot of the same things there that I could do uh, here, so it was really good, actually. And um, a question I always ask people who have come from somewhere that we would probably perceive as being quite uh, exciting, how, how did you end up here? <laughs> oh, sure. Um, 
So, uh, just try to make not too long a story. Um, my wife is from the UK, so we ended up living in Canada um, there for 10 years um, near where I uh, grew up and just decided for a change, really. And, then, and it was completely random uh, set of circumstances that led me to this particular school. I've never worked in a school before, even in Canada, and never had worked in a school library. So I just applied and was very fortunate that they gave me the position. Um, it'd be eight years ago now. So it was just kind of, um, it wasn't like I was setting out to do a very specific thing. I, um, But by the time we were moving back here, I essentially given up on libraries I wasn't going to do library work anymore and I just thought I would apply to this and I really liked it and I was glad they hired me and it's been you know you know it's been going ever since <laughs> and was that quite a steep um learning curve or culture shock I suppose a British uh, secondary school it was because I've never heard of anything uh, for instance you know Ofsted and um even the fact that everyone wears uniforms and uh, the system here is much more strict than I than I was uh, used to and I, I didn't mind it it just was a complete it was a, a bit of a shock um the way everything is run uh here and it's I think it works really well and it's great and the fact that they gave me this great space to kind of um, try many different new things to bring as many students into the library as possible is I'm really fortunate. So the, um, it, but it, yeah, it was a huge, uh, a huge kind of shock to see how everything works in comparison to how I grew up. It, it's, it couldn't be more different. <laughs> okay. Um, so do you have quite a well-defined idea of sort of what you want this library to be and what you want to achieve with it or is it a case of kind of reacting to things on a day-to-day basis or a yeah bit i think it's a mixture i think my my goal is to just change the way people see li- uh, school libraries that's really and what school librarians and people who work in them do um and what can be done so you know we doing our own podcast for instance or doing open mics or running different clubs that are maybe considered unique or alternative and just really we've just been kind of forging our own way in my opinion um it probably sometimes i do things the hard way but it's just the way i do it so it's yeah it's been uh, my goal from day one really has just been i think almost selfishly it's like i didn't have a school library really i had there was a room but there was no nothing going on in there and i didn't care for the person in there so I think from day one, it's just, this is what I would like to have seen in my school library. (laughs) So Mm. I'm just going to try these things out. And they've given me complete, absolute freedom to do so. And it's been a lot of fun, yeah. Um, And how kind of aware do you have to be of um, the library as a potential place uh, for kind of um, sort of of a safe safe place rather for students? relating either to things at school or at home is that something that you're kind of um yeah kind of hyper aware of and looking out for signs of of any kind of issues or um yeah as a staff member is in a, in a secondary school you have to be really hyper aware of everything and be on top of all the um procedures of course and as a school library i mean everyone who comes in here um my goal is to, that they feel welcome and safe of course and I I think the school itself is uh, probably by most considered a very safe place. I think the library is also a refuge for those who maybe um, 
for me it was like if you feel like you don't actually fit in I would I would want to be in a place like this because you can do like I said you could come to the book club or you can come to Dungeons and Dragons club or you can do an open mic or you can do a manga, manga club or you can, like they just just before you arrived here they can come and see an author talk um and I think it's just yeah it's just a place where you can gather a complete mixture of people who like all kinds of different things into one space in a fun and engaging way where they can create make mistakes without worrying about consequences really because that's how they're supposed to learn and how much has um i kind of hesitant to ask the question because i think we're all sick of hearing these questions <laughs> but i'm curious how uh, sort of how the jobs changed since uh covid yeah um in the first lockdown we did everything well 90 percent of it online which is extremely tough but we have you know audiobooks ebooks and our biggest thing at the moment is we are restricting total numbers that come in. Um, usually we don't worry too much um, up to a certain point, of course, but we have to quite we have to restrict it a lot more now. And it's mainly also we're separating them in certain areas, and it's really the reduction of numbers that has the impact because um, you can see them queuing up to get ready to come in it just causes a lot of disruption on our part and in their on their part too because they um they're missing out in that way so we do have the absolute best we can but we're following all the guidance and uh that would be for me at this particular stage in the pandemic what we're dealing with is like is not allowing the the, the, the number of kids in that i would love to um just not able to hmm. and um perhaps not the limiting of numbers but is there any kind of practices that you've taken on in response to it that you see yourself kind of continuing in future one really simple thing that we started um that i never thought of doing um and it is, it is very simple is just leaving um a, a returns box outside of the library where they can so they don't have to actually come into a space they can just walk by and literally drop the book into the box like a public library would have a, some usually they used to anyway i don't know if they do here but in in the public library i worked out you just like open a lever and mm. a, a shoot and throw your book in and that's essentially what we've created outside and it's really simple um but also um the cleaning of you know the uh, rigid cleaning that um my colleague um does um on the keyboards and things like that and tables which we have done um much more of course so it's mainly that and also we're monitoring the co2 levels um as best we can but so it's it's those little things that but they all add up right. <laughs> to a lot of stuff um and I suppose COVID-19 probably links quite well into my next question, which is that you've been doing a lot of work around um, sort of misinformation. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I saw on your on your blog. Yeah. Um, how big an issue is that for, for young people? And is it something that you kind of, you see the impact of it on a regular basis? I'm not sure if I'm seeing the actual impact. I mean, you do see it, but for me, it's the biggest issue that we are facing as a culture, as a society in general, because you've got... I mean, I don't know, I've, I could go on for ages, but you could just, you've got, um, a, in my opinion, a society where everything has been so fragmented. So if you like a certain thing, you can just find your little group, your bubble, and just, and just be told, fed the same thing over and over and over again. And that could be, it could be completely wrong and, and completely dangerous now to other people, which is what we're seeing. And I think... I think it's anyone who works in a school, it's their responsibility to fight back on that as hard as possible. So in the library lessons that we have, I'm trying to show them 
um, how you can be fooled, how to spot different things. And what I'm finding actually is how is that they're a lot more savvy than people give them credit for. Um, but also they will sometimes um, fall for things if they're being fed it outside of school, if that makes sense. So if they are continually bombarded with something or um, something comes across to them as funny, uh, um, they they will often share those types of things, but they actually have those skills. Some, a lot of them have the skills in place, in my opinion, to figure out when it's, when it's garbage. But um, I just think, yeah, so I just think I've been trying really hard to constantly remind them of how dangerous it is. So we're doing different lessons around it where they're trying to find you know, different red flags when it comes to misinformation and really testing them on it, you know, and doing really tough assessment kind of activities on it to see where they're at. You I know. suppose the challenge is that the kind of in practice where these things are going to happen and where it's going to have an impact are in the exact places that you're not able to kind of check in on or police, as it were. Um, yeah. I guess being online or on, on, yeah. on phones and stuff like that, it's, I suppose it's more about giving people the tools to recognize it themselves. That's it, yeah. And we are completely connected and addicted to these machines that are feeding us the things that they that these companies want. I sound I sound like I am a conspiracy person. <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's one of the is that we are being fed what what they think we like and what we want to believe. And we are just being immersed in these bubbles where we're just being told the same thing over and over again. And it, like I said, it could be actually at this point, it's it's quite dangerous because these beliefs are sometimes really harmful. And I feel I fear for people that just based on people I'm growing up with in Canada and things like that, I feel like they have literally altered their minds to the point of no return with certain in regard to certain things. And it's frightening to me. So that's why I'm constantly trying to get them to be critical thinkers. Yeah, absolutely. So do you work kind of quite closely with um, teachers around the school on that or, or indeed on sort of anything else? Is it a yeah. close working relationship that you have generally? Yeah, we're lucky. We we have a great relationship, obviously, with English who bring their um, the students in every two weeks um, for, for a timetable library lesson. And I'm also lucky... Um, we just we do partnerships as best we can with other departments. Um, for instance, music, of course. When I mentioned things like open mic, they help us with equipment setting up, organizing those. We've done. Um, I do also research on you know, how to responsibly research um, lessons for d many different subjects, dance and um, history, of course. And anybody doing a, needs like some sort of context. I'm fortunate that this department's. Um, uh, trust me to go to these lessons and help them out with those types of things. So it's been really, I really like those because it's something kind of like different and it's, um, I, I get to kind of challenge myself and research maybe a new topic or things like that. So I really enjoy that. Um, and you mentioned um, a podcast earlier. I know you're involved in, in a podcast. Is that, um, that's a school uh, initiative, is it? Yeah, well, uh, it's, it's our initiative. We, you know, I can't remember the date now. It would have been 2017 or 18. We won a grant that for, for from a charity that I don't think exists anymore, but they, the students helped to create the idea, and we wrote a grant um, requesting money for um, to start our own podcast, and we won 500 pounds. We bought all the <laughs> this podcasting equipment that I had no idea how to use, and it was... Uh, it's just a handy recorder, some mics and headphones and things like that. And then we kind of took it on the road to begin with where we would go to bookshops and places like um, Books Round in in, in um, 
in Brixton that were called Knights of back then, but Knights of is the publisher and they're a really interesting publishing company, a really cool group. And we took it to liter uh, literary festivals where we interviewed Mallory Blackman. And every time an author came here to visit, they, the students would set up and um, we would, um, we would interview them with our cool podcasting equipment. And we kind of taught ourselves how to edit and through audacity and other programs and, um, and the students learned interview skills and teamwork, of course, working together. And then we would, um, we've done quite a few. I think we've done over 70 now. And we're doing a lot of them online now because of the uh, COVID restrictions. But it's been great. It's been a lot of fun for, for me. And uh, over the lockdown, it was really beneficial to me because I had students calling in. And then we would call an author and we would interview them. We did that almost daily just to get through the first first few weeks. It was, And we did a lot over the lockdown. So, yeah, it's been a real learning experience and I really loved it. Was that grant connected to... Um, what was it? Was it School Librarian of the Year, twenty seventeen? Well, it wasn't connected to that, but it was. Um, it was just. Uh, it was called Reading Hack. Now that I think of it, I'm trying to remember it, and they, I don't think they offer it anymore. But I just found. I don't know. Like maybe I got one of those emails or something, and or somebody on online showed me. But um, I didn't mention that. But it had happened just after because our first guest was Chris Riddell, who was really cool, an amazing guy, and he was, had come to visit. He, we were given a free visit because of that award. <laughs> okay. Because he was the he was the kind of the person who, um, I forgot the name of his title, but he had a really cool title and he he kind of presented the award and all that. So he came here as well, and he was amazing. He did a big um, drawing for us and he met students all throughout the day and they interviewed him at the end. It was really cool. And that award, you can uh, you can send me the money later for mentioning it so many times. But <laughs> yeah. how did that work? And what was the award kind of meant to recognize? Um. That award was through the School Library Association, and there it was two students who nominated me kind of behind my back, and uh, <laughs> they went to the head teacher and said, can we do it? And he gave them permission. So they did all that preliminary stuff, and so out of the blue, I received this email saying, you've been nominated, so please send us, I think it was like 12 pages of evidence that of what you do, like just anything. So <laughs> I didn't know what was going on at first. So then, but we put it together, put together all the evidence and then it was a long process. And then, um, two people came here. They spent the entire day here and they interviewed students and staff members and they kind of observed a few library lessons. And then I got, um, the message saying that was not narrowed down to the top three. And we went to this big, um, uh, ceremony up in uh, Worcester and um, yeah and it was like Chris Riddell was there and all these other authors and a bunch of all these cool people and other librarians and stuff and yeah it was really it was a shock really when they announced it and it was it was awesome yeah it did change a lot of things um, mm. but it was great that was the kind of the whole process yeah um, and I know you also contribute to um, is it Book Riot it's, yes uh, yeah yeah uh, fairly Fairly big, um, yeah. That, sort of. Yeah. Uh, well, how would you describe it? And uh, book rides, um They're an online literary um, website based out of uh, Brooklyn, uh, New York. And I think it was 2013 or 14. I just happened to see. I had seen their stuff before, and I, I kind of had read some of their stuff. I wasn't some sort of um, uh, fanatic or anything, but I just had seen their things and I just noticed on their website or maybe on their Twitter or something that it said, we're looking for writers. So I, uh, you just had to send in one 
uh, sample uh, story, I guess. And I did send in something. I'm sure it was awful, but they responded and said we would like you to join. So I'm I'm part of a, a con, you know contribution team, and we kind of sign up. You know, um, it's really great because as a like they're not all librarians; they're all they're people from all different walks of life. So um, there's a few of us who are librarians, and I get to contribute to um, that website based around what we do here, which is kind of unique and cool from, in my opinion, for that website, because, um, I don't think there's a ton of school librarians. So we get to do, we're given these extra like librarian features to cover and stuff like that. And it's really fun. It's, it's kind of like a mini little journalism gig and it gets me writing as well. Um, you know, you know, I've got deadlines and it's just good to continually keep the creative uh, <laughs> things yeah. moving. So, but it's been a lot of fun working for them. It sounds like what you do there is linked to what you do here i was going to yeah. ask um is there anything that that kind of external um pursuit kind of uh brings you that your work here maybe doesn't um or or are they very much inextricably linked um yeah i think um i think they're they're pretty linked i think um I'm, what it usually happens after the fact so when it when it comes time that oh yeah i have to write two articles for book riot they're really cool because they kind of give me the freedom usually to say i can kind of write what i want so i have to kind of like look back retrospectively and say what have i done recently in the library that i think is cool and would work for the website so i've done that's how it kind of works i'm not really um i'm not doing it the other way around sometimes i do sometimes i'm given items so but i think they're very very closely linked because um it's completely literary based and it's always about, in my opinion, reaching teenagers or reaching, you know, year sevens and up, um, essentially in, in, uh, the field of reading for pleasure and how to get them engaged in the library. And, uh, coming back to the, um, the school, maybe not specifically, but more generally, um, kind of what do you think the, a library can be and can do for students how important can it be um for for students for all different sort of reasons well, that's a great question um i think a proper properly run school library with a good budget and um dedicated staff can be a place a like we've talked about before a, a safe welcoming place um there's a lot of evidence to show a lot of formal research done now on the impact of reading for pleasure and how it can affect well-being, reduce anxiety and stress, and bringing in authors can help in, increase vocabulary and increase um, all these different things around um, literacy. And so I think having a, someone in and having people in the library who, who operate in that way can really um, change things for some students. And if they, don't, if they feel like they don't have anywhere else to go or they feel like they don't quite fit in, the library is the place for them because there's so much offered here. But if it's just a room with some books run by a, you know, a stressed out uh, teacher who only gets to open it a lunch, once a lunchtime every, every you know, a couple of times a week or something like that, and they're just kind of like rushing the kids in and out, then it's not going to be effective at all. So again we're very fortunate that we've had support from the top um from day one and they've always said that they want us to promote um, they want to make the kids fall in love with reading that was basically what i was told to do when i got hired so i've just had that in my brain ever since so it can be many different things mainly also a place like i've said before a place where you can come and fail without worrying because we kind of have created a culture where failure 
is a very stressful life or death situation for some, and it doesn't matter in here because we're just exploring and creating and, and um, building on things together. So, And um, I know I asked you for three uh, books that have been significant to you. Would you mind just uh, kind of introducing those titles and why they've been important to you? Sure. Any, they could be any books from any era or any. Absolutely, <laughs> we've had a wide range, and um, so far I've been quite disappointed by the number of them that I've actually read myself. So I'd quite like something I've heard of to come up, if possible. I'm going to start with one that is not. I mean, and it's a bit of a copper, really, because it's not. It is in this library, but it's not something that I would necessarily give to like a year seven. But it did have a huge impact on me, probably as a as a late teenager, and. Um, it's called Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy, um, and I don't know why. I've, every time I read, I've read it a few times, and every time I read it, I feel like I'm not clever enough to figure out what the actual meaning is. But there's something in there I don't, and I don't quite um, know what it is. But it's just written such in such a beautiful way that um, it just has a huge, deep impact on me. And it's about based loosely on a true story of these renegades who went absolutely out of control in the old West and in the United States. I was obsessed with, as uh, most kids were probably growing up in certain areas with the idea of cowboys in the old West. So that book really, it just hit home with me. So again, it's like a bit of a copo because it's not one of these books that, you know, every kid should read maybe, but it, <laughs> it just had such a huge impact. Um, but the other two, and I'm going to choose some, some fairly recent ones that really did have an impact on me and I really enjoyed. One of them is called The Crossing by Manjean Mann, and um, it's written in uh, verse, and it's very relevant and, and very powerful in my opinion. And it's about um, a girl whose brother, they're in the UK, and um, his brother is kind of, is, is about to or has joined this kind of Britain first far right group. And she's lost her mom and she's finds solace in swimming so she decides to swim the english channel to raise money for charity and then the story flips and it's about this boy fleeing um a war-torn area and trying to come to the uk as a refugee and it's all about these two worlds colliding uh it's very powerful huge and very sad and it is amazing and then the other one that is again if I was thinking of three books, like I wanted to think of three completely different books that have all had impact on me. The other one is called Maggie Blue in the Dark World by Anna Goodall, which is, I don't know how to describe it. I never know how to describe it to people, but whenever I do, uh, I describe it as reading like um, a Studio Ghibli uh almost like an anime. In my head, it was like an anime that was running. Um but also th things that I loved growing up, like um, Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal, The Labyrinth, and things like that. I love those weird TV shows. And it's about this girl who sees her bully being transported into this other dimension, follows, um, follows along, and gets into this bizarre world where there's, she's got this talking cat uh, sidekick, and there's these strange creatures she has to save is surreal and weird and awesome it's just one of those books that just really blew me away uh so i'll give you the final word um as two of those there seem quite linked to well that one's bullying there in a sort of fantasy setting and um the second choice there to do with someone being kind of tempted to uh, the far right in that case mm. um how do you think reading is important uh, as a final word um mm. in kind of helping people through maybe times where they might be getting led down certain paths or they're in a difficult position, young people specifically? I think with young people, I think it's about empathy and I think it's about seeing yourself in the, the books that you read. So that's another thing that, I'm, again, it's hard to do if you don't have a budget and dedicated staff, but if 
um, we filling we are filling these shelves with books from as many different voices as we can. So any student who walks in here can pick up a book and hopefully see themselves as the main character, as the hero, because it's very damaging. I think if you see TV shows or read comics or read books and your culture or your history is represented as the villain constant over and over and over again, or some sort of um, silly sidekick. So I think the importance it has is that you, you can find yourself in those books and it may say seem grandiose or something to say that, but it can actually help you navigate the world. If you can find yourself in um, different uh, fictional texts and help you connect with others and of course help you put yourself in the shoes of other people who are experiencing things that you may not ever experience. Huge thanks again to Lucas for joining me this week, for being so understanding about various delays and timing issues, and for inviting us into the Glenfawn School Library. As I said in the podcast intro, I'd be very keen to invite Lucas back on the show in a future episode, so keep your eyes peeled for that. This is the final episode of this series of the Library Talks podcast. I just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who made this series possible, from every guest that's given up their time to talk to me. And to everyone at Sutton Cultural Services for letting me trot off with my microphone and very little else. They really did trust me to go off and take the show wherever I wanted. uh, And I hope I didn't let them down too much. Finally, as always, thank you to you for listening, wherever you are. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Sutton Libraries on Twitter and Sutton Libraries London on Facebook and Instagram. That will be the place for updates about the next series of the podcast. Please leave a review of the podcast wherever you listen, if you can. And we'll see you next series for another chat with another special guest. Until then, keep reading.